As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Ellen Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm Tom Hostikundel, the centre-back debuting at centre-forward of the podcast, and we travelled back in time. Is Big Sam still in charge? And I'm joined by today by the winger who refused to travel because he wants to sign for Everton of the podcast. Really? Everton? It's Martin Riley. How are you, Martin? I'm I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Um, h- how about you? Are you enjoying being Tom Hosty Cundall today? Yeah, I enjoy <laughs> being Tom Hosty. Yeah, it was. Uh, I did a I did a competition um, a few few weeks ago, a weightlifting competition, and they pronounced they were pronouncing my name Hostly Contel. Um, oh, so it was yeah, it was a very interesting, very throughout the whole thing. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm midway through competition. I can't can't go correct them. <laughs> no, that's cool. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm doing good. Um, I've not eaten yet, and I've not decided what I'm having to eat because I had had a late lunch, um, which was a pot noodle before anyone asked. So I'm running on pot pot noodle fumes at the moment. But um, I'm very excited to talk about a very exciting game. Yeah, it's it's amazing to me that like. How many of us actually do run off student meals still, despite none of us being students anymore? Um, for the record, I've had spaghetti bolognese. Um, of course, of so course. That, my, my staple. <laughs> so we'll start with some news, and we'll start with the good stuff. We signed a new striker in Joe Roden from Spurs. Yeah. What, what's your take on it, Martin? Uh, Joe Roden, yeah. Um, at first, I, I wasn't too sure because I've never really watched him play. Um uh, especially not as a centre forward, that was news to me. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was fun. And but yeah, I, I've watched some games in preparation for writing an article on him, and I'm overall pretty happy with the signing. And there's a few little little things which weren't great in this play, but I think at the level that we're at now, he should be be more than good enough for this level, and he'll probably be one of the best playing centre backs in this league, um, not maybe not the best, but he will be up there with the best ones. He will be very good for this sort of system. Um, he's very, very, very strong in the air. He's going to be our tallest outfield player, I believe, at six foot three, I think. Um, so yeah, he's, he's a big lad, and he defends quite well against one on one duels. Um, the only thing that I found, well, I mentioned that before, was that he's a little bit too aggressive when he's defending the high line. Which so if if the ball com- comes loose and someone runs out, he can sort of push too far forward, and then he can be easily played around. That's one thing that I did notice. But other than that, um, that yeah, I think it should be a good signing. He should be able to get a good partnership going with Pascal Strauch, and yeah, that, that's I'm very happy with the signing. How about you? Yeah, all, all I remember is his time at Swansea, really, and him being regarded as one of the best centre-backs in the league, I think. Um, obviously, he went to Spurs and didn't quite make it in their team, and I think he had a decent loan spell, maybe, last year in Liga Earn. I can't remember exactly who he was, who he was with. Was it Lons? It was Wren. Um, Wren. Sad Wren. I knew it was an E and an S in it, but yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it, I think it's a smart signing, and we needed that side of centre backs covered up. Indeed. Um, so yeah, good stuff. And the not so good stuff. Uh, 
young Willy Nonto has been refusing to play. What what do we think of that exactly? Do we think we understand the reasons behind it? Or I mean, it's a tough one because he's a young lad, and the way I see it, he's probably been given some advice by his agent to do so, um, to try to prevent him from being injured so, so a move doesn't fall through. But as we've seen, it doesn't really put teams off now <laughs> because we've got Harrison, who's up. We'll talk about him soon. But yeah, so I, I don't think it's the right move for him. I think it's going to get him a bit of a reputation if he does continue with this stance that he won't play and it won't do him any good. And obviously it won't do us, us any good having a player who is one of our better players not being able to be selected even though he's fully fit. So it's definitely not an ideal situation and I can understand why fans are rightfully ag- aggrieved with him because he's going to get paid a lot of money, I know, but Nonto won't be on as much as some of his teammates, but he's still going to be on substantially more than what any fan will be on and he's taking that money and he's not playing for it. So it's a cardinal sin in football, really, and I hope it gets resolved either by us selling him and reinvesting that money in the squad or if he can sort out the issue and start playing and realises that the advice he got given to not play was bad. So that's what I'm hoping, one of the two. How about you? Yeah, yeah, and I, I think for for me is that he's not been in good enough consistent form to warrant forcing a move in this way. If he had been, like, without doubt the best player for us throughout the whole of last season and we just didn't stay up by the skin of our teeth, um, maybe I could give him the warrant if he was, like, kind of how Rafinha was the year before and we went down and then Rafinha was pushing for the move sort of thing. Um but I think he hasn't really had a performance that's been good enough since he got injured on international duty in February. Late February, I think it was. Um, and yeah, we know that Grazia stopped picking him. Big Sam didn't really pick him. Um, so there, there'll be reasons for that. And yeah, I just don't, I, I think personally, I don't agree with that he's doing it. And I'd personally take on all of that, what I've just said. I, I'd happily take around 20 million for him. And I know that that's on the lower side of what a lot of people, a lot of fans think we should be accepting for him. But yeah, um, he, he's got a lot of kicks at a young age as well <laughs> and a little small injury. So how long can he carry on going through that? And it makes a big profit on what we paid last summer. Yeah, that's true. Um, we didn't pay a lot. Was it about five, six million? So we're... Yeah, some, and that might have been in euros as well. Yeah, so we're potentially quadrupling how much we paid for him. So that is uh, a lot of FFP profit which could be used, even if it is on the lower side of what he should be valued at, given his age and the, some of the performances that he showed in the Premier League. Um, but yeah, I would have been happy to accept between 20 and 25 million. It's clear the club don't want to accept that. And, and they've even gone as far as to say that they won't sell him at all. Um, I'm hoping that's more of a negotiation tactic, just trying to get a bit more out of um, the clubs who are interested in him. But we'll have to see how that goes, I think. Yep, and on to the other right-footed left winger of Sinistera. So we all love Sinistera, but do we at the moment? Is he injured or has he also refused to play or is it both? It's potentially a mixture of both. Um, obviously, the answer which Farker gave when he was asked about him was very similar to the, the answer he gave before it became known that Nonto had refused to play before the club put out the statement. So it could be foreshadowing that. And obviously the reasons for Sinistera not playing are, are a bit different because he has had quite a few bad injuries. And if he was to pick up, say, a, a six-month injury now, that would really derail any option he's got of moving elsewhere. So I can kind of understand it. And I wonder how this has come out, if it's maybe him saying to Farker that he doesn't want to be used as often and it's been... T- taken quite badly by Farker or if he did just say that he doesn't want to play at all so it's again not not quite as bad as Nonto until we know for definite if he is refusing to play but with him it's kind of more understandable he's definitely too good for this league and if if he does want to move and he's got clubs who are interested in him obviously he'll know more because his agent will be telling him what clubs are interested in but at present we don't know there's not really been any any solid links to other clubs to say that, yeah, this club wants to pay this for him, other than the, I think, one from a Feyenoord media site saying that we're going to get him on loan, <laughs> which is a bit of a dirty word at the moment to Leeds fans. Yeah. 
So yeah, that's going to be fun if that does come come to fruition. Yeah, and uh, speaking of loans and another left winger, but this one's left footed, and Jack Harrison has left to go to Everton. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, what what do we make of that one? Very very bad. <laughs> that's how what I make of it. It's just because he was one of the players who we were looking to get money for, and we should have been able to get money for. Um, even with the injuries currently holding, um, he does still retain a lot of value, and because he's very rarely been injured across his time with us, so this is like the one time that he's been injured in the past what, four or five years. He's been with us now. Five years we've had him. Yeah, five years. So it's a long time for him to not be injured. So it's, it was going to happen eventually that he was going to get injured, and it's hasn't stopped Everton from wanting to get him on loan. Um, at one point, it was going to be Villa, but suddenly they realised that he was injured, even though that's quite public knowledge, but who knows with that. Um, yeah, I'm really sad to see him go, to be honest, because he's been a favourite player of mine for some time at Leeds. He's shown consistency throughout all the years that he's been with us, maybe minus the first season when he was still getting to grips with the Championship. But from then on, he was he's just been a constant for Leeds, and he's scored important goals, important assists. He's had his moments of inconsistency, which all players have, and he's a bit of a confidence player at times, but he's just always been a fit, uh, one of the players of mine, which I won't, won't, I'm sad to see go, because he's done a lot for the club, and I don't think he owes us anything. Some fans are treating him, uh, calling him a snake and other things like that, but I don't entertain that nonsense at all. He's been a good servant for us, and... He deserves to play at a higher level than championship at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I think um, for me with Harrison, like you were saying, he's given us five years, and he always like he always did give one hundred percent. And yeah, I, I I was a fan of Harrison as well. I know that he has his critics, um, but I always thought he was just you know he was a, he was a good steady player to have. And you know there were talks of him getting picked for England at one point, and that's you know that. That doesn't happen with every player. Um, going to Everton is probably he, he kind of does strike me as a very good diked player. Um, yeah, and I think the difference, as we were trying to say, the difference with Harrison to the other players is that they've only been here a year. Yeah, and he's been here five years. You know, um, he could have after that first year where we didn't get promoted with him, he could have said, "I'm not coming back on loan." Yeah, you know, he could have easily chosen to go elsewhere. So, yeah, I think the the feeling for me with him is is very different, but it is also like you said, one of those players who we could have got money for, and it'll be interesting to see what this kind of release clause in the loan to buy him out if they want to, but it's not an obligation or an option at the end. It's like during the loan period that it has to be activate, activated or something. Uh, it'll be interesting to see that. Yeah. And yeah, the bit which you mentioned, Villa, um, that was just a very weird, funny turn for half a day of, oh yeah, he's had a phone call with Unai Emery, he's going, and then all of a sudden, oh, they've realised he's injured. I don't understand how Emery can call him and go, who could you complain? He's like, oh, but I'm a bit injured. Oh, it's fine, it's fine. Don't worry. Wait, no, it's not fine. Uh, Anyway, enough of the news. We have a match to talk about from uh, Saturday afternoon. And so I'll run through the game summary now and then we'll carry on. So the game started with Leeds dominating possession and not creating any chances, with Birmingham looking to attack in transition and also really not creating any chances. The theme continued throughout the entire game. When then, in the 89th minute, Dan James gave away a penalty, which was scored by Lukas Jukovic, and the game ended 1-0 to Birmingham. That is genuinely all that happened in the game. <laughs> and so, now, as always, we'll run through a bit more in detail of the game with some questions where I'm going to interrogate Martin. So, firstly, were you happy with our approach to Birmingham out of possession? Uh, well, I think largely we did well in stopping Birmingham making the most of the chances when it did get to around our box. Um, however, I do feel that our forward press wasn't always working that effectively. They were able to play through it um, on a few occasions with pretty standard patterns of play or going long. And there were some individuals in the forward press who weren't always making the right decision on who to press and how to press them individually. And it felt at times that it wasn't really a concerted press and more just ball-orientated individuals moving towards the opponent. And it just, at any point, it didn't really feel as intense as it should have been. And I think that's down to the, down to the personnel. Um, obviously, the attacking lineup which we put out, who are responsible for the high press, um, just aren't our best players in, in or out of possession. And 
it really showed, I think, in, in, in some, ta- some parts of the game. I think it improved as the game went on, especially in the second half. Um, we were doing a good job of winning the ball around the, around the halfway line when they were trying to progress. Um, especially now it's uh, Luke Ayling winning the ball a few times from the heels of, um, Dembele. And, but yeah, largely I, I wasn't too happy with the way it was in the forward press. But like I said before, when it did get to the box, I felt that we, we did defend our box quite well. Um, all the defenders did a good job in dealing with most of the situations. There were some issues, um, on Luke Ayling's side, defending against Dembele, who does look to be a very, very tricky winger. And he really had his hands full with him. But yeah, other, other than those things that I mentioned, I think we did reasonably okay at stopping them from creating big, big chances. So the stopping from creating big chances, did you feel that was solely down to us defending, or do you think it was also that really Birmingham only had Dembele and nobody else like chipped in? Well, yeah, I, I think it, it was a mixture of both. I, th- I don't think the Birmingham players really made the right decisions a lot around the, our box. There was quite a few times when they overhit passes or they passed to the wrong wrong player and they could have made a lot more out of the opportunities we did give them. There were a few times when they did manage to nick the ball off us and we weren't set in our rest fence, which they could have scored from if they had made the right, right choices, but they didn't. So I, I do think that is also to do with their inability to create to create the most out of those. And there's also a few moments from uh, Bakuna where he was hit over hitting passes and another time where he went for a shot when there was multiple passing options inside the box. So yeah, I do, I do think that on another day against better opposition, we probably would have conceded a, a couple. But there were also times, like I said, where we did defend well against the one that was trying to, to attack our box. So it's a mixed bag and it's probably a mixture of both, in my opinion. I'm not sure what you think on that one. Yeah, no, I, I, I thought... The same. That's kind of why I phrased the question in that way. It just kind of felt they really only had Dembele as a danger. Obviously, Hogan had a few good shots, um, but I felt Creswell dealt with him quite well. Um, thought Strauk also had a really steady game. He didn't put a foot wrong, and obviously he was really good on the ball as well. Yeah. Um, some of the passes which uh, he picked out were really nice. Um, yeah, and so their danger man, as we said, was Dembele up against Ailing, and we spoke a lot, quite a bit. Um, about fullbacks last week so we're going to focus on Ailing again and I'm really sorry Luke if you're listening um, but Tom Alderson usual host who can't be here with us today unfortunately he's asked is Farker's system making Ailing look worse than he is? Yeah it's an interesting question from Tom um, and I think he's probably right with that um, there's parts of the way that he's been asked to play in Farker's system both in and out of possession which don't suit his style of play um, I'll talk quickly about off the ball. I've already covered quite a bit about Ailing's deficiencies off the ball, um, especially when he's defended in the high line. It's it asks a lot of him. He's not as young as he once was um, when he was defended in the, in the high line under Bielsa. So he's lost some yards of pace, even though he didn't have much to begin with. <laughs> so it makes it even more difficult for him when defended in the high line. So that part of it doesn't suit him. And then in possession, um, one of Ailing's best strengths is in build-up, in early, early build-up play. He's very good at doing the little quick one-two passes and working with his teammates to press the ball up the pitch, especially he's good at carrying the ball from those deeper positions. Whereas with Farkas, Farkas' system, he starts off high. Um, he has very little involvement in build-up at all. And usually when the team has the ball, he's around the halfway line or even even further up, being, being an outlet for long passing. And especially considering he's not the best crosser in the world. And that's the thing which he's tasked with doing most of the time is just bombing down the right and trying to put passes or crosses into the box. And that also doesn't suit him. So there's quite a few things about the system. And I think this is why Farker wanted to bring in Max Ahrens, because he is all those things. He's He's got a lot of pace in his game. So he's good at the high line defending and getting back quickly. He's also quite effective at crossing the ball and making those dangerous runs into the box. He was very good at that at Norwich with under Farker. So I think it's clear that Farker knows that that is a deficiency and that's why they were looking to solve it with Aaron's. And that didn't happen. And we'll let's see whether that will happen and get a different defender in because I don't think Ailing is it. To be honest, as much as I love the guy and I do really, 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 really rate him. But I think maybe... 
possibly could be better for him to be a centre-back in the system. I think that would probably suit his style more. Like I said, he's good in the early build-up stage and he's also good at carrying the ball. And that is something which Farker does like his centre-backs to do on occasion when you are in early build-up to break through the midfield lines. So yeah, I think that's probably one thing we could do to solve the Ealing situation. Yeah, I think that was even something that we discussed last season in the Marsh system. We felt that Ealing would be a good centre-back in that system as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you, you basically jumped the gun of the follow-up I was going to ask, which was, <laughs> do you think he'd suit as a centre-back? Um, I guess the other question is, why do we think there's a persistence on Ailing over drama? What do we think What is the drama deficiencies or? It could be twofold. Um, I think the leadership of Ailing, that can't be put out of question because at the moment with our captain Cooper is out injured and we don't have much experience in the squad, especially in the lineup which we put out against Birmingham. And it was a very young side. And I think that is one part of it. All all coaches will value leadership qualities in, and they want to have at least a couple of men in the team who do display that. And also, I think Ramez probably he's still coming back from injury and we're not sure what level of fitness he's got and whether he feels he's capable of playing the game. I'm not sure, was he on the bench um, against Birmingham? I, I can't remember if no, he was either. No, I, I, I know he was on the bench against um, Shrewsbury. Yeah, and he came, I think he came on for like a minute yeah. or two. So yeah, I, I, I'm not, I think that's possibly it, that Grammar isn't possibly ready to start games and he didn't even use him off the bench at all in, in that game, so that was even more interesting. Um, if he was on the bench, he wasn't used. Um, but yeah, I think that's probably the two reasons and I can't imagine why he wouldn't give Grammar a go because he's played in this league. And he has a lot of things which I think would work in his system. He's got a lot, of pe- a lot more pace for his game than what Ailing has got, and he is quite effective in the final third as well. So I do think that he would probably be a better option than Ailing in this system. Yeah, no, I, uh, I agree on that. And so we touched on Ailing being possibly a centre back, but how do we feel Creswell and Strauk did at the weekend as a centre back pair? Um, I know there's been a lot said said about Creswell and his. I know some some fans are raving about him that he's really good, and then there's other fans who are on the other side who are saying that he's really bad. And I think personally, I fall somewhere in between that. Um, I don't see where people are getting the idea that he has been amazing, um, especially on the ball. Um, he has, especially early in the game, he was making quite a lot of nervy decisions and passes were over hits, and he was dallying on the ball. But I did feel that like he grew into the game a lot in in this game. And he did better as it went on. Um, but generally, Strauch is, and I don't want to say it like this, it sounds harsh, but, but uh, putting him to shame a bit. But obviously, Strauch has a lot more experience um, than what Crashwell does. But yeah, I'm very, very high on Strauch at the moment. I think he's doing really, really well. Um, he's not only improved his defending, also his in-possession play. Um, I think he pressed the ball quite a lot in, in, in this game. I think he was around nine progressive passes he hit. I, I'm just doing that off the top of my head there. So, But that's what I remember looking at the stats last night. But yeah, he he's really doing well in the system, I think, and it suits him quite well. And I do think that him and Rodham will be a great pair. Crestwell will have to settle for less minutes, I think. I think I don't think he's quite ready to start as many games as what he is. I think he will improve as, as the season goes on. And But yeah, I, don't, I think the partnership could do better, personally. Yeah, I um, I agree with the early on. I don't think it was just rushed. I think there were some nerves of heavy touches as well. Yeah, just uh, not not just bad touches. It was just kind of yeah, probably rushed and just taking a few heavy touches, which meant you then had to rush something else. And the way that he grew into the game, it felt like what he did was um, he just trusted Strauk a bit more. Yeah. So it'd be if he did, if he didn't see an option or he didn't feel comfortable to make an option, he gave it to Strauk, and Strauk could find the correct option usually. Yeah. More often than not. Um, I remember there was one pass that Strauch did where it won't go down as completed because I think Shackleton tried to let it run through to someone behind him. Yeah. But otherwise, it was a brilliant ball in Shackleton. Um, yeah, I think he was fine defensively, Creswell. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. But it's just just his just his on ball sort of work. I was he, I felt like maybe a few moves broke down early on, definitely. Um, and then when in the second half, I felt we were a bit more. When we had the ball, I remember he was the deepest player and he was in their half. So like, he didn't have too much pressure on him at times as well, um, which may, probably made his passing a bit more a bit more smoother. That's fair. 
As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. But let's, let's talk about the attack now. So we've kind of discussed a little bit about the press and how we felt the forwards did there. So we started with James on the left wing, Jan Pervader in the middle, Jamie Shackleton at right wing, and Joe Gellhart up front. Um, how do we how do we feel they fared? Definitely a mixed bag. Um, uh, Jamie Shackleton as, as a right winger um, just will not ever work for me. <laughs> he is not a winger. Um, he's I know in this system that the wingers play more narrow, but if you look at the wingers that Fark has had in this position, and you see Emmy Buendia, and and, and Emmy Buendia is not what Jamie Shackleton is. Um, he's yeah, he he was pretty anonymous for most of the game, but I did note that he was generally quite secure in his passing. And, um, he had I think the highest pass completion, um, I think like ninety odd percent. So he he was doing a good job in that respect. But there was a lot of parts which he just he just can't do. It's not his fault. It's just that's not part of his game. He isn't going to be be the midfielder who plays in, incisive passes forward to find forwards in space. Um, he's not going to be one to carry on carry the ball and dribble past the player. It's just not what his game's about. He's got lots of energy. Um, he can pass quite quite tidily, um, but he's nothing special when it comes to passing. And he probably shines best out of possession, which I did feel he did quite well. He was one part of the forward press, which did generally work quite well. He was given quite a good good amount of support to Ailing as well. I think as the game went on, and I think that may be something which was identified at half time. I did notice him dropping deeper in the second half to help out Ailing in the battle against Dembele. So yeah. I felt that part of it was good, um, and we'll go on to talk more about the other individuals in the later questions, so I don't spoil them. Yeah, I think for me, in a similar way to what you were saying about Shackleton there, um, he, did, he didn't exactly do anything bad, he just didn't do what we want from a right winger. No. So, But everything he did was quite good. I, I watched and I was like... Does does he deserve to actually play kind of like in his own position? There there could be a role for him somewhere, but he's not on the right wing. Yeah, um, was was basically my feeling regarding it. Um, so you discussed as well there. You said about Shackleton not being the player to play the decisive passes. So in both halves, we struggled to create chances. Was this completely down to us, or was that part of Birmingham as well? Uh, there was generally a lack of cohesion, I felt, in the attacking third. Um, I just felt that these players weren't on the same, same wavelength quite often, quite, sorry, quite often. And especially when it came to one twos, which are quite a heavy part of the way Fark likes to progress the ball. There was quite a few m- moments where, um, one player would pass the ball and, and would make a run forward and then the pass would be played in the opposite direction to where they were going or they would make the forward pass and that player didn't make the run there was quite a few moments where that was happening and it didn't help us to be cohesive in the, in the final third when they weren't on the same wavelength and I think we probably had too many players contributing to midpoint build up there was quite often too many players dropping deeper I think especially in the, in the first half and also too many contributing to wide build up play there was focused, there was too many players who, who were focused on those wide spaces and there wasn't really anyone in the central part of the pitch. Um, I know there is something of, of Fark's game to that. Um, it is quite narrow at times, but I think it was maybe a bit too narrow. There was too many players who were, who were used to playing in the wide spaces. And on the left side, you had James, who was there quite often. Pervader was there quite often. Byron was there. So that's three players who were all pretty much staying in wide areas. And there wasn't anyone either 
in front of the box to play a ball out to, and there wasn't really anyone in the box either. Um, there wasn't players attacking the half space, which is also a big part of what Fife wants to do in the final third. And this is something which helps with the wide space, because if you've got players attacking that sort of area in the half space, that will pull defenders away from the wide areas. So it will mean that the wingers aren't left two, two on two or two on one, which was happening quite often. There was usually players who were surrounding James and there weren't players who were pulling those defenders out of the way. I saw the, I think it was their right centre-back, um, I forget what his name is, um, but yeah, he... he uh, Dion Sanderson. That's it, that's it, yeah, Sanderson. Yeah, he was um, toying up on James quite often, and it says a lot about the game when James was, was probably our most effective attacker, at least the only main outlet that we had, and it was quite often being doubled up, and that's because there wasn't anyone who was in the box who was giving them some reason to stay around the box because I know we'll, we'll come on to speak about Gelhart a bit later on but yeah the, there wasn't a box present there for us to aim to which made it very difficult to create chances really yeah I think another it's kind of you were talking about Byron and Perveda and James they were the three that also were what you were saying early on about it breaking down it was always them three I felt where where it broke down yeah it was and I felt in this game we also saw where the disadvantage of having Byron playing at left back came into account because there were times where if the left back was more predominantly left footed, the ball from Strout would have been gone across his body and would have allowed him to go down the line. Yeah. And Byron having to take his first touch with his right foot to control it because in a pressure situation, that's what he's more comfortable to do. Yep. So he did control it a few times with his left foot. He can't not do that. That's not what I'm saying. <clears throat> but when you're press- pressured as a player, you're going to try to control it with your stronger foot. And that meant that he didn't get the shape and where he needed to open up and go down and they defended really quite well against that um i also felt that the fact that james and byron were both like left-sided players uh with right who were right footed weirdly they seemed to want to invert and stay wide the same so they were always in the same line and it, that's one of the other reasons why it didn't create much space in that um so you've given credit there for Birmingham's doubling up on James. I thought Ethan Lair did a very good job on James as well. To be fair, uh, he, he impressed me. Yeah, he was. He was. He was good. Very good at obsessions. I liked a few things that he was doing on the ball as well. He, he nicked the ball a few times, um, which was very dangerous and carried the ball forward. But I, I do think that I don't think Birmingham did anything really special out of possession. Um, I think that we were generally able to build up in deeper areas around their press quite often. And I did like a lot of what I saw in that early build-up. I know that's not what this is about, but that's what I talk about briefly. And especially when it came to really deep build-up, we had a 3-2 shape, and our centre-backs would spread spread far apart wide, and Melier was coming onto the ball in the middle of them. So Melier was part of that, that build-up directly, and we were trying to bait their press. And that's something which Birmingham did do well, actually. They, did, they didn't really get baited into... Pressons in those moments, which didn't leave spaces behind for us to exploit. So that's one part that we will give them credit for, and that helps keep their structure solid. Um, but I felt that once we did bypass this, we were, we were able to get the ball into the final third, but then finding the options in the box, that was where it became difficult. Yeah, and another player who we've discussed is that, that three, that trio on the left-hand side is Paveda, who was playing at 10. So uh, Jacob of all sorts that we again we miss you come back um he's asked talk to me about Perveda. to me that role completely neutered his upside but even on the right he is discouraged from going wide all the time is there a good use for him that's again another great question hi jacob miss you um watching the game live was a very different experience on Perveda than what it was when i rewatched live i felt that he was pretty anonymous and didn't do much to help us but on the rewatch, my opinion changed a little. I felt he contributed quite well to our build-up play. He was contributing well, dropping deep into midfield, and also contributing very well in wide build-up areas at times. However, the problem we had was he never made much effort to make himself an option in areas around the box or in central areas of the pitch. He was often too wide when we got towards the box rather than trying to influence the ball more centrally. Uh, speaking to the second part of Jacob's question, I think with more time in the position... Um, I think he could play as 10, 
with some more experience in what he needs to do in that position because I don't think it's somewhere that he really played. I think even when he was, um, was it, what was the last loan that he had? Was it Blackburn? Think. He was at Blackpool last time. Yeah. He was at Blackburn first. Yeah, yeah, because I think most in both those clubs he was playing as a wide player. So yeah, I don't think he's really had much experience playing as a ten. So that sort of thing will come with time. Um, but I think I would probably rather we upgraded in this position than put it on Pereira full time. And I think it would waste the talents that he has got. And I would probably prefer to see him used as an impact sub to change things up um, because he offers a different thing to what. Fark wants on the right side so if whatever the winger's doing on the right isn't working he can bring him on off the bench to try to have a bit more width on that side so that's something which we have so we can have other options to change things up throughout the game he's done really well coming on and being very direct taking on players and putting balls into the box uh, during pre-season and this is probably where I've seen being long-term in the squad once all the outgoings and incomings are sorted as more of an impact sub really yeah I I felt like he just looked an inexperienced player in the middle. Um, yeah. And he kind of, I think he was going looking for the ball, which was why he didn't also take up those positions that he could have as a 10 to also like. He probably should have been, one. If the way that Galhart, and I know that's the next question that we're, that we're getting onto, but the way that Galhart was playing his role as nine, Pervader probably should have been central and trying to break the line as well. Yeah. Not just coming deep. When he did come deep, uh, I don't want to make this gripe about officials in a sense, but. Um, I felt the official, for, he's a, usually a Premier League referee, but his positioning was really weird. Um, there was a couple of times when Pervader would get the ball centrally and he'd have to dribble round the ref. Yeah, I don't that a few times. Yeah, and that just that slowed us down in an attack as well because he couldn't do a quick turn because he would have ran into the ref. So he had to take an extra two touches to get round the ref. And um, yeah, that was just one little thing which I spotted. So I wonder if there's more potential there if we can avoid the ref ourselves <laughs> in, in that way. But otherwise, yeah, I think as an impact off the right, um, I think that's when we've seen him do his best work for Leeds at least. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and I mentioned Gelhart there. So we had Gelhart and Ruta, but we'll start with Joffy. How did you make of his game? I think this was a game where I was entirely convinced that Joe Gelhart is not suitable to play as a low and centre forward. That sounds harsh. I don't mean it to be. Um, he has a lot to like about his game, but this it does not suit his strengths at all. He did contribute well in dropping deeper to give options when we were in early build-up, but the problem was he was doing this too often. Um, Birmingham often had a pretty high line, and they weren't really shutting up shop, especially in the, in the first half and towards the midpoint of the second half. And there was opportunities for him to exploit that, and he didn't take advantage of me but he wasn't often making runs beyond the, the centre-backs to try to give options for passes which were longer um, he did make some runs into wider areas uh, beyond the centre-backs which were effective um, but this never happened inside the box it usually ended with him on the ball on the flanks and when the ball was played around the box he was often too deep to be an option always making the wrong movements when we had the ball on the flanks he would often make runs to the far post and I'll be on the other side of the far centre-back and when the ball was pretty much on the left the entire time, we didn't really do much build-up on the right. And that meant that when he's on the other side of the far centre-back, he's just too far away to be able to receive balls. And he's not a striker who's going to win many aerial battles. He's not that sort of player. And it just didn't help us all the way he plays that role. And in fact, you know, all the time Joffrey spent on the pitch, he didn't touch the ball once inside the box, which is a pretty damning indictment of any centre-forwards that you can't get any touched inside the box, which isn't entirely down to him because there were other parts of our attacking play which didn't help the centre-forward. But he also needs to be making those movements inside the box. That's where you want your centre-forward to be. And there were moments where someone with maybe a bit more nous could have found him in in those boxes and we just didn't have that behind him. And so so he doesn't he does still share some responsibility for not being effective in the box, but not all of it. Yeah, I shared a screenshot last night on Twitter um, of a moment where Gelhart had found himself on the right, having it was a long ball over the top. He'd chase it down. He'd collected it. He played a bit of uh, inter interaction with Shackleton and Ailin, and then the ball got recycled to the back, and it went all the way back to the halfway line. We got it back towards the left, and 
he was still jogging in from the right and there's just this massive chasm between the two ends of the boxes where there is absolutely no striker. And that's that's where, even if you do that, when you end up out on the right, you should be trying, as a forward, playing that role, you want to be starting to bust a gut because once you start doing that, you're, you're stretching those defenders and yeah. that's desperately what we need. The other part of that is, is that I think that that's where Joffy's best role would be, is out on the right coming in uh, off the left. I've said that numerous times. Um, and the bit which you mentioned regarding him kind of going towards the back post, yeah, that's really interesting. So that for me is a run of a forward of a second striker. Yeah. So because your main nine will make the run to the front post mm-hmm. and then you're there to pick up the scraps essentially from those crosses. That's meant to be how that, that should work. Um, even as Joffy being a lone nine and a small forward as well, you want to be enticing lower crosses and driven crosses from the front post for you to get onto. Yep. So if James is, so I know that James had a few um, critics for overhit, overhit crosses, but if you're James and you're looking up into the box and you're having to try and get it over two defenders to then get behind onto Joffy's head, that's, that's a tough, it's a tough ask. Yeah. So I'm not surprised that they were overhitting that uh, most of the time. Um, and yeah, I think that's just that squad, build i think with the players that we might have available on friday i'm kind of hoping to see him maybe in the 10 role yeah um but i'm not i'm not entirely sure what exactly will happen um so yeah him in the 10 role would mean probably rute starting up front so we had a question from one of our editors and discord members lovely paul and he said should we be worried about rute this was the type of game he should be having an influence on when he comes off the bench but he didn't seem to Parker said he only put players on the bench who were ready, so can't use the excuse that he was injured. Well, in my opinion, we shouldn't be worried about Ruta. Um He came into a difficult game in which a centre-forward can be effective, one where most of his attacking teammates were doing things which didn't aid a centre-forward. This is true for both Joffe and Ruta, by the way. However, I did see Ruta making more of the kind of runs which a centre-forward should be making, and he was often in between the centre-backs which created space for other attackers to get into. Unfortunately, our other attackers weren't taking advantage of these moments, which made the, the, his work in doing this go unnoticed. And because he wasn't being noticed in doing this, he started retreating back and trying to help in any way that he could, which meant that he wasn't was being pulled away from where he was trying to do it. Because there was, there was one moment, I think about 10 minutes after he came on, where both of the centre-backs were keeping an eye on him. That was really, really close to where he was, and there was quite a big gap between the uh, layered their right back and the centre back, and there just wasn't anyone attacking that space. There was times when I saw Byram, and he was there was a massive gap in front of him, and he just was not making that run to attack it. And I know he's a fullback, and it's not something he's been used to doing is attacking that half space. But considering he's played as a left back under Farco before. I would have felt that he would have known that that's the sort of space that he's wanting to to attack. Uh, if it's not him, it should be, should be Pervader attacking that gap, or just anyone, anyone just getting forward. One of the central midfielders even get Archie Gray attacking that space. Just as long as you get more men in the box, and that so it meant that that work which Rutter was doing wasn't noticed. And he got physical with centre backs on a few occasions, which is something which didn't happen once with Gelhart. As he just doesn't have the physique to do this. And like I mentioned, there was some moments when he was too involved in wide areas, which is something that he does need to work on. And But he doesn't have much experience of playing as a lone centre forward. And Gelhart does have more. He was playing quite often um, as a lone striker for Sunderland last year, I believe. But it was meant to be him and Ross Stewart who were playing as a strike pair. But he ended up being playing as a lone centre forward when uh, Stewart got injured. So he has to, does have more involvement in playing this lone striker than what Rute does. And he's also just recovered from the injury. So Farker mentioned that he wasn't ready, but he was, wasn't ready to start, I think is, is what that was meant. Ready to come off the bench because he's just come back from injury. He doesn't really want to risk more injuries in this side at the moment because we've got enough off them. <laughs> and yeah, the, the, the club, the, maybe he won't work as a striker long term and we will be bringing in another striker. So if he doesn't work as a striker, we may have an opening on the wing. Um, we've got a few wingers who want out. So I, th- I think if it doesn't work with him as a striker, he can quite easily be moved to the right flank. And that's where he could be very effective. 
as it's pretty much played the, the way that you want. That would work a lot better, I think. But I don't think it's wrong to. So I don't think it's right to write him off just yet. And I've still got quite high hopes for him myself. Yeah, no, I I'm still hoping for Rutter to uh, kick on. Um, I think one of the things which I did notice was we did put a long ball up near the end, and he won the header, and it dropped down perfectly to Rodon. <laughs> um, and it bounced, and I think kind of like uh, on the LUTV commentary, they, they kind of said it, it bounced and he couldn't control it. And I was like, but if that was an actual striker, they're hitting that on the volley and yeah. just trying to get something on it. And that that just shows the personnel issues that we've got at the moment. Um, and I, I want to give Joffy some little credit. He did use his body once really well. It was in the centre circle, more or less, and we had another three players around us that he could have played a pass to, and he held the ball up, and then he decided to try and turn and run instead of play the pass, and then he lost it on the run yeah. uh, after about two touches. So, again, his decision-making needs needs work as well, still with him still being a little bit green. Yeah. Um, finally, we had a question from Sam Bailey of our Patreon, and he said, so far... Have any of us seen any sort of chance creation through Farkas' system like Marcelo's used to? Um, if all our good players are going, then the system will have to do a lot of the heavy lifting when it comes to chance creation. So have we seen anything to give us that positivity yet? Well, I felt that there were a number of good automatisms I saw in the Cardiff game, which were reminiscent of Bielsa's attacking patterns. And in this game, we were working those patterns in the half space area, which was something which Bielsa did quite often. But we aren't quite there to see this often enough. And I think this will take some more time for the squad to get fluid with. Um, ultimately, in this game, the Birmingham game, the level of our attackers we could put out just wasn't good enough to pull off those, those automatisms as frequently as what Fark would want, I think. And I think we can use some of these players dotted around our better attackers. But to use them all in one game um, doesn't give you a great chance of p- pulling off these patterns of play. When you have pl- players playing away from their ideal positions, you've got uh, Jan Paveda playing as a 10, you've got Jamie Shackleton playing as a right winger. These aren't the players who are in their ideal positions. So I think once we have more players recovered from injury, once we bring in more players, there's a lot of things which have to happen for us to get this right. And I think we do just have to be patient. I know it's hard, but it's a long, long, long season as a championship. And clubs can start very poorly, not not win five six games, and still recoup enough points to be, get into the playoffs. And so, I don't think it's something that we should be worried about too much yet. But I can understand why people are, because that's just the nature of Leeds fans in general, and especially Sam Bailey. <laughs> yeah, he's he. We, we love you, Sam, but you are definitely negative. Um, I think it's for me. It's a question that we need to. We're better in a better position to answer come 2nd of September mm-hmm. at 11 o'clock after the transfer window is done. Um, so are there any positives that we can take away from this defeat? Um, with regards to the overall picture of the tactics and squads, um, not really too many positives from that game. But on individual players, there were a few players who did play well in this game. I've already mentioned Pascal Strauch has another good game. Um, he didn't do put a foot wrong in my opinion. He was good both in possession and out of possession. Um, Ethan Ampadu, although he started off with a couple of shaky moments early in the game, um, I think again he did very well and he saved our asses a few times in in some parts of the game where he just managed to get just there to the right point to intercept the ball or to, to make a tackle and he was very effective in bossing that mid- midfield area and even getting back to help in the box as well. So yeah, there's, there is some positive we can take away from the game and not everything is awful, but yeah, we still haven't got a win yet <laughs> other than the other than beating Shrewsbury in the cup. So yeah, yep. I think maybe as Leeds fans we'd probably take doing a, doing a normal Leeds and losing in the cup if it meant that we'd actually win a game, a league game. But yeah, but it, it will start coming soon. It'll, it'll get good soon. Yeah, I think... Ampadu and Gray and Strout yeah. were my positives from it. Um, Ampadu and Gray are looking like a quite a good double pivot to dovetail off each other. Um, but again, how good do any of the other midfielders that we've got look in the <laughs> when one of them drops out and one of them fills in? Yeah. I think it's a pretty. It might be quite a big step down standard. Um, so we need to address that. 
as well, which we means that we've basically just said we need to sign like six, seven players before even replacing players. So it's going to be a fun two weeks. So I think that's as that's as done for the Birmingham review, Martin. Yeah, I think so. Unless you've got anything else? No, no, nothing else I can add. Okay, so uh, later on this week for non-Patreon members, the West Brom preview will be released. Um, but for Patreon members, it will be released hopefully with this one just about around about the same time. And on the Beretia, that will be ad-free. So, yep, please sign up to the Patreon. As Martin has also mentioned, he will have an article out on Joe Roden. And, yeah, how how's that coming along? Is it looking good? Yeah, yeah, I'm happy with it so far. There's still some work left to do. Um, but, yeah, I think it should be out hopefully middle of this week or maybe a bit later in the week. Um, but, yeah, it's coming relatively soon. It'll be before the next game out of the way, I think. I want to say also the reason why you should um, subscribe and donate to the Patreon is because Martin did a lot of work on the Greek centre-back that we mentioned last week for us only that night to announce Joe Roden as he was putting his finishing touches on that article and Martin puts a lot of work into this and so he should be remunerated. <laughs> so that that yeah. is my call for everyone. That is That was tough but it was always going to happen before long. Um, I'm, I was aware of that fact and it's come to bite me quite quickly. But yes, yeah, that was fun. That happened to a uh, good friend Josh Hobbs, who was doing a Michael Cuisance video when that one then <laughs> dropped, as he had just pressed kind of like execute to create the MP4 before uploading, I believe. So, if you would like to support us and benefit from those articles and a listening of the preview, then you can find all the information at patreon.com forward slash ASAW Patreon. And thank you for listening. And Martin, I want to say thank you to you. Thank you too. Have a good week. And we'll see you at the preview.